Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is Juliette Funt. She is the author of the new book, A Minute to Think. We are going to talk all about how to be intentional with your work day, right? how, to, how to rediscover your purpose at work. Uh, we are going to dive into some hacks to undo uh, our sickness of busyness. I, if she really operates under the thesis that we are all very busy, but we are not very productive. So how to, how, to, how to get rid of that meeting that should have been an email and that email that should have been a phone call uh, or, or should have been a phone call later on in the week. She's going to give us tips for how to do that. You're going to get more of your life back. You're going to get more of your purpose back. You're going to get more of your sense of, your sense of yourself back. We're no, you're not going to be chained to your email. So uh, I'm very excited to bring that to you. Uh, but first, of course, before we get to that interview, we have to hear from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of Intelligence for Life, the podcast, is presented by Rocket Mortgage. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. All right. Thank you to everybody who made today possible. And here, without further ado, I am so excited. I mean, I, I, this is our second time having Juliet on the show, and I really like her. So I'm just excited to bring this to you. Ladies and gentlemen, my interview with Juliet Funt. Juliet Funt, founder of the Juliet Funt Group, but most importantly, author of the new book, A Minute to Think. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Uh, okay, so the, the subtitle for your book is Reclaim C- Creativity, Conquer Busyness, and Do Your Best Work. Uh, you know, I feel like I feel like we have a crisis, uh, among, particularly among knowledge workers now, where we are busy all mm-hmm. the time, but not necessarily... Uh, as doing the output that we need to be doing. Like it's it's a Mm. lot of busyness, not a lot of productivity. And we measure ourselves from busyness. Uh, Is that, is that why, why you decided to write this book or, or do you have more insight (laughs) into that? I wrote the book because I have spent 20 years watching tolerated misery at work. I've watched people um, fail to touch meaning be mired in nonsense work. There's individuals that pop up as I talk. There's Mindy, this woman in the book who decided after her promotion that she could no longer take lunch and works every single day with a jar of peanut butter on her desk because she has to keep her blood sugar up in a place where she can't even stand up. And, mm. and, and so that these, I'm moved by these stories, but I'm also, I also really identify with them Mm -hmm. as a naturally busy person myself. And after many, many years of watching this, it just seemed that the solutions that I've played with and that I've tried with people should be put into an easy guide to help people find an exit ramp from walking in every day, working hard every day, and then looking up at six o'clock and going, did I do anything today? Did I touch anything that that moved me or had meaning or mattered. And, and, um, I do believe that there is a way to exit that paradigm. Uh, last time we talked, uh, was, it was about a year ago and, and we were sort of talking about how this is a great time. If we're ever going to shake things up, now is the time mm. to start shaking things up. Uh, when it comes to our career paths and our work, how, how do we, you know, how do we start going down that first step of, I think a lot of people, like you just said, they, we look down, we our day is over, and we go, I didn't do anything today. I just moved paper around, or I, I, I made mm-hmm. somebody else's dream come true. How, how do we begin to uh, free ourselves from, from that paradigm? So let's go up a little bit, because it was fun that you said a year ago, kind of gave me this framing of how have we done in this year since right. you and I were yeah. together, right? And in some ways, there's excitement, because 
work is being profoundly redesigned. Everywhere you look, the car parts are out on the driveway and people are examining them and replacing them and cleaning them and the system is being dismantled mm -hmm. to be uh, put back together in a better way and that's good. It's a really good thing for workers. I think that there's a chance that there are topics that we have hated for decades that could go away now. But I do think that the top, uh, the conversation is over-indexing a little bit on where. We're talking over and over and over on where should people sit and where should people work and should they commute and where should real mm. estate be sold. There's a huge amount of where and there's not enough how. Right. How people work. How do they organize themselves? How do they communicate? How do they express their needs? How do they set a boundary? How can teams feel connected across? How, how you can connect to anywhere. If you and I work the same way, it doesn't matter whether you work on a mountain in a Starbucks or in Saskatchewan, we are still aligned in the how of our work. Mm. So that one of my passions is really taking this beautiful blank page that we have, and we kind of almost have a blank page right now to say, what should work be like? Let's just shake it all up uh, and, and redesign in my focus the how first mm. and and let the where be just less consequential we get it people can work anywhere productivity has been proven now let's go to the things that need to change so that human beings can enjoy work and get stuff done um i mean oh, great how do we i mean is it just through the productivity tools of of remote work because not everybody's able to to access those uh in the same way so how, how do we begin to rethink what productivity is? Is it just a mm -hmm. checklist? I know, I, I know um, we may have talked about this before, but there's a big disconnect, particularly, you know, if you think about the companies that, that, that idealize efficiency, right? You're looking at, yep. at, at the Silicon Valley companies and they, and they, the programmers will always say our metric is, is in, in lines of code delivered, but the manager's uh, metric is in how many interactions they have, which is necessarily contradictory to how many lines of code that those, the coders can code. If you're having meetings every day, that's not necessarily efficient. So how do we begin to measure efficiency okay. if you don't have leaders that can look at their workers? Yeah, that's such a good thing to talk about because these metrics are exactly what's strangling us. They mm. make us confuse activity with productivity. Yes. And that's one big delineation that we have to start with is moving fast to many places while checking lots of boxes does not mean that you have produced anything. It, it, it can just be spending all day getting back to even. Right. So to me, productivity means that in the course of a period of time, a day, a week, a month, I have made something, anything better, bigger, or more beautiful. Hmm. So I have taken a process and I have made it better, or I have taken my social media following and made it a little bigger, or I have taken a difficult relationship that is gumming up the works of work and I have made it more beautiful by being honest, or I have moved a needle and the image it's funny i was just writing about this there's the image that comes to mind is there's a guy named brian berg he's a professional card stacker and he holds the guinness book of world records for these spectacular giant castles that he builds layer after layer after layer at trade shows he holds largest and he holds tallest and and wow. what I, I was watching this documentary on him and i realized that when he sleeps at trade shows and he wakes up each day 
and he gets to see the layer that he added the day before, it occurred to me what a simple and gratifying sense of before and after that must be. Yesterday there was one layer, today there are two. And that simple sense of we just want to see progress and all of the confusing measurement of how fast and how much you're jamming in the day, Mm -hmm. I think takes us off the point of, did you pick up something this morning and then make it better, bigger, or more beautiful? And can you look back on it at five o'clock and say, I changed that thing. That is productivity. Mm. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, that's, The irony is that, uh, particularly in the Western world, we have moved so far away from uh, a manufacturing economy. Uh, There's still there are manufacturing jobs. There is manufacturing that happens, but it has slowly Mm -hmm. but surely eroded. Um, And what you're talking about is really a mentality that that is equated with that kind of thinking. I mean, this is something that that uh, that tradesmen experience every day. This is something that Mm -hmm. people that that work with their hands get to experience. But when you move into the information economy, we struggle to do it. And also, when you move into building your own dreams, you struggle with the metrics. Because often the work that you do for someone else is measured in this way. Um, Do you think that there there is an application for what you're talking about into... We we sort of glorify them as side hustles, but I want to call it dream chasing to make it a little bit more positive in in the the ways that we chase our own dreams. Yeah, I think that... um... I'm, I'm I'm stopping myself in the worry that I'm going to say something controversial, but <laughs> the the pressure to make money from the thing you love, I, I think is something that is deserving of a few moments of examination. Mm. A, a lot of people get to make money from the thing that they love, mm-hmm. but we can't all be surf instructors. And I, I don't think that there's always an easy path to make money from the thing you love. Now, I'm married to an artist and a photographer. And so I I really understand the passion side hustle thing. But I also think that that sometimes creates this shame around working to feed your family. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I just, it's sort of a little tangential to what you brought up, but it's a passion for mine to say that I don't think there's any harm in showing up to any old job, deciding that you're going to bring a hardworking, great attitude, kicking butt at that job, and then right. going home and feeding your family, even if what you really wish you were doing is singing rock and roll, and that's not what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I just always feel that stimulation to talk about that when we talk about building your passion into your business. That the numbers are, it's possible, but it's a small percentage of people who get to do that. So that's important to say that whichever path you're on, whether you're on a path that this is my job and it may or may not be filled with passion or the path of I am taking my side hustle and making it my dream job, I think that creating your own simpler metric for what is a productive day is applicable in both places. And I see where you're going to manufacturing, but I work at a laptop and on paper all day long, Mm -hmm. and there are plenty of places for things to become better and bigger and more beautiful. It doesn't have to be constructing an object to have that be a guideline. And it simplifies things for people. In fact, what we teach is if you're getting toward the two o'clock, three o'clock mark of your day, you can stop and just do a pulse check. Have I actually touched anything yet in this (laughs) day that is moving in a direction of better, bigger, and more beautiful? And if I haven't, let me give myself 30 minutes right now to rewrite 
a menu of services or to nurture a client relationship mm. or to add one more blog post or that you can purposefully choose that before and after gratifying experience in the course of your day, regardless of whether you're starting your own bakery or whether you're what I've heard referred to as a laptop jockey. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I think you make, you make a really great point there, right? That, um, not everybody's going to be able to make their living in an artistic, passionate pursuit. But what I would like to see us all do is we may not do the, th we may not earn a living doing the thing that we love, that the hobby or whatever. But I, but I want us to love the thing that we're doing to earn a living. Yes. And now I that's different. Right. And yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people go and they feel like work has become soulless for all of the reasons that you've touched on. Right. We we get to the end of the day and we haven't we haven't made anything. Uh, bigger, better, more beautiful. We haven't done the things, that, th those kinds of touchy metrics that really speak to our soul. And that doesn't mean that we have to be photographers or artists of some kind, it, but we, you can do that in, in marketing. You can do that in customer service or whatever it is that you do for a living. I think, I think we, should be, we should be moving towards that. And I think, you know, uh, if I understand it correctly, that's a big part of the, the, your, the thesis of your book. Yes, and let's talk then about how we do that. Because there are specific actions that are needed in order to create a context where better, bigger, and more beautiful show up. So the first one I think that's the most important is to take a minute to think. And that's why the book is called that, that to stop moving and bring intentionality. If you're on a leadership level, that might be taking two hours to think about the future of your how. And mm -hmm. if you're on an individual level, that might be taking... 30 seconds to think to say, what's the thing I should pick up next? Before I move, I just finished one thing. I just closed a browser mm -hmm. window. I just finished a browser. That minute of what's the most valuable thing I should touch next is a transitional inquiry that is missing so many times in the day. And we just grab whatever is next on the list or in front of us. So inserting thoughtfulness does a couple things. First of all, it makes us smarter in the choices that we make. Second of all, kind of we could touch on the foundational metaphor of the book, it kind of oxygenates us in the way that space in between the wood of a fire does, mm. that we need that oxygenating mm. space. Because you could put a lot of stuff in a fireplace. You could put in fire starter and pine needles and wood, and if mm -hmm. you compact it, and if it's a big, dense pile, nothing will ever ignite there, nothing. But if you create space where the spark of the fire can ignite, it is very similar to creating space in the day where your spark, the part of you, I always like to think of a person choosing their outfit on the first day of their first job. I don't know why that image always comes in my head, <laughs> that sweet, earnest want of contributing, that part of you that has talents and the desire to give with your talents, that needs space. It was it's so, so optimistic and uncynical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you need me to shift it a little bit? No, for, no, no, no. Modern no. times. <laughs> I'm just saying, but but like there there is something that's kind of beautiful about that because you if you 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 kind of go with you approach that idea of your first day of work with a with a certain amount of innocence and lack of cynicism uh, yeah. because it hasn't been beaten into you yet by whatever you know whatever issues there may be and so i think it's a great it's a great way to revitalize your brain like approach i think it is a great visual metaphor and there are very there are many tactical ways to do that so one of the most popular right now with the zoom of zoomaholic exhaustion is simple calendar rule never let the colors touch on your calendar you should be seeing slices 
of five, 10 and 15 minute white stripes in the calendar. What does that do? It oxygenates the day because mm -hmm. you have time to think or look back or be a human being who has appetites or a bladder. And mm -hmm. those things give you room in the day. So we bring the space in, we become a little more thoughtful, a little more present. Then the next step to create the ground for true productivity is to decrapify the work. And that is to start removing there is so much, the emails, the meetings, the mm -hmm. decks, the reports. We actually quantify that in our work. We see uh, approximately a million dollars of annual talent waste for every 50 people in a typical organization on just crap, honestly, just terrible nonsense work that has not been pulled out of the system. And so that that work to remove, to start saying, no to certain meetings, to scale them down, to send less emails, to touch less Slack. That is a very, very important part of making space so that true productivity can show up. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 I believe that. I experience that. I feel like the truth of the matter is management at a lot of institutions, large and small, uh, push in the other direction. What are we doing in order to sure. optimize? You know, we have we have a we have pr profit margins are narrower, competition is greater. What are we doing to optimize our time so that we don't fall behind? And white space seems to be those little those little spaces in between each of our of our tasks seems to be lack. You're you're making the case, and I agree with you that that is optimal. I I think a lot of management would would uh would bristle or or it's currently existing in a different paradigm how do you start to change that paradigm for people the reason that they bristle is that they falsely equate unscheduled time with rest mm -hmm. sometimes unscheduled time is rest and when you take a minute at work you just oh, i'm so exhausted you just need to be recuperating mm -hmm. like uh if you go to the gym you do 15 bicep curls and then you take a rest. You mm -hmm. don't do 450 bicep curls in a row like we do at work all day long. So sure. that recuperative part is really important. But here's what they're missing. That open time that we prescribe and teach through the entire book as an example is also used for creative thought, strategic thought, planning, becoming objective, questioning assumptions, if your time is all scheduled, the richest parts of work have no insert point. You're just doing stuff all day long. Mm -hmm. So I, I, that that if if bosses can learn, which we know they can because we've watched them learn it, if bosses can learn that employees with space not only are refreshed but also have time to welcome the muse of the ideas that make business exciting, the, the next great aha breakthrough thing that you wish somebody would come up with as a boss, that often comes in a moment where nothing is scheduled. And so the, it's, it's quantifying the gain for bosses to understand that there are productivity gains, innovation gains, creative gains in having more space, not just happy people who softly in a kind of a soft skills way are more rested. That's mm. a very important distinction. Mm. I, I, yes, I, I, I see the distinction. I, I worry for the people out there right now who, uh, who agree with you, but are not the managers and would right. like to have this kind of thing. And, and uh, I want to give them tools for how they can create the kind of space that you're talking about 
uh, maybe if they have a reluctant manager, is there a way that they can prove yes. your model without uh, getting fired? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We had a, actually, I had an, you know, an A head is in a book is that little mini chapter that has a title. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like you're reading and then there's a piece in bold. We had an A head called don't get fired that didn't <laughs> actually stay in the book, but that's that they, listen, there's a lot of bosses out there that are good at a lot of things mm -hmm. and evolve thinking is not always on the list. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a reality that we have to be very careful of, but you have more agency than you think. There are 12 pivotal tools that we use in our work, and 10 of them can be done with no manager buy-in of any kind because there is tons of inefficiency at your own desk, honestly, mm -hmm. that you could begin curbing before you get to complaining about the corporate mothership, especially if you work in a big corporation. So let's start with some of those tools. The first one, the most important one for most people to start with is called the wedge. The wedge is a small portion of open time that you insert in between two activities of your day. If you're, if you could see my hands, they're making an upward triangle mm -hmm. and it's a little wedge to stretch open two things. So your, your day is very compressed. You go from item to item, to item, to item, to item. The wedge is opening and separating, opening and separating. So between, we already did a meeting and a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Between, let's do the most primary wedge of the day, before between opening your eyes and getting out of bed. Mm. Mm. Just a moment. Good morning, day. What's it going to be like? How am I going to show up? Between sitting at your desk and touching the first thing. I'm talking little 20 seconds, 10 seconds, 45 seconds. We're just opening up the day between getting an email that makes you upset and responding to it mm -hmm. between coming up with an idea and assigning somebody work. These little wedges begin to open up the day. Then we go into, I mean, there are a lot of different places that we could move from there, but I think probably the most important one is to begin to identify the thieves of time in our day. And they are, they're a pretty big character in our work. So I think it's worth unpacking them a little bit. When we studied busy work, we found there were four reasons that people were overwhelmingly busy. And what was really surprising was that they were actually all good things that had run amok. Mm. So we call them the thieves of time. They are drive, excellence, information, and activity. But you would think, I wouldn't even hire anybody who didn't have drive right. and excellence and you know right. quest for information. But they tend to overgrow. And they have a risk associated with each one of them. Drive tends to become overdrive excellence, perfectionism, information tends to become information overload and activity just becomes frenzy. So as you begin to slow down your day, the sort of the second step is to begin to start spotting the thieves. So where are you being pulled into unnecessary detail? That's the thief of excellence. Mm. Unnecessary research. That's the thief of information. When do you feel yourself just checking boxes, checking boxes, checking boxes, and you're not even really paying attention to what's in the box? Right. That's the thief of activity. And drive, of course, is just too many projects, too many goals at the same time. So starting to see them, spot them, maybe even if you work with two or three people, you could explain the concept of the thieves and mm -hmm. then start to just talk about where are these driving us. I, I think that's a pretty good second step. And then... Um, 
and then maybe we'll leave the wedge and the thieves as the as the appetizer for <laughs> for where we're heading. <laughs> and then for, you guys can buy the book to figure out how the rest. Of the, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say it, but I but I I think you should, uh, folks. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk more with Juliet Funt about these about how to begin to claim that time back and and really optimize uh, our work life. So uh, stay with us. All right, Juliet, a, a minute ago, we were we were talking about, uh, you know, this idea of creating a wedge in our days mm. of of mm. of finding those spaces where we can just be where we can have, I mean, your metaphor of the fire, right, of, of creating that space in there. Uh, that's a paradigm shift for a lot of people. How do you begin to prepare yourself because I, I, for me, uh, look, I, I want to do prayer and meditation every single day. But one of the first things I do as soon as I get alone in front of my, like into my office, I think, okay, let me just check my email first and then I'll do the thing. <laughs> and then before I know it, the email has eaten all that time and I'm on, yeah. I'm, I'm reacting to things instead of putting myself, and I, and I say this all the time, if I had just taken the time at the beginning of the day, those 10 minutes would have made me that much more efficient for the rest of the day. Uh, but I can't, I can't bring myself to do it every day. How do I begin to change my mindset for that? The, the how often does have to do with camaraderie. We talked for a minute ago about the things that you can do on your own. And there are a Mm -hmm. lot, and I'm happy to go into more, plenty more ideas, but then there is this sense of, uh, it's easy. And if you live with somebody who's eating healthy, it's easier to eat healthy. If you have a walking buddy, it's easier to go for a walk. So Talking with your the people that you work with, even if they're vendors or it's just some buddies that you work with at a shared working space, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a, a formal professional team, about the value of having what we call white space is a very good first start. And, and it begins by understanding what is it exactly that we value at work? Do we value just those quantif- – is it all quantity? Are we in a job where it's how many widgets per day mm-hmm. or are we trying to do something more meaningful? And if we are trying to do something more meaningful, how do we access that type of meaning? And those conversations usually begin by talking about the things that make people miserable at work and then imagining the opposite. So it, it comes down to a topic a lot of times of meaning. And that happens when people, if people do imagine the opposite, the opposite of their busyness, the opposite of the frenzy, they think, well, what, what, what would it look like if it was opposite? It would look like I touch something that truly makes me proud in the course mm-hmm. of a day. And sometimes for people that's um, professional a demonstration of a talent. And for sometimes people, it must be service related. They have to see their work helping another human being or making a difference. Sometimes even outside the realm of professional, they want, they just want to, to really focus on the part of their company's philanthropy that they can have extra time for. Mm -hmm. And so once you're having conversations like this about what work, what work should be about and what's important, then you have a little more permission to take that thinking. And I think that permission is really where it comes down to. It also helps to share stories with other people about why. So I'll give you a story from the book, a guy named John, who is one of my favorite stories. He is a security guard at a Fortune 200 company that happens to have a very strong focus on patents. They like Mm to put in a lot of patents. Now, I will preface by saying John is an incredibly unique, brilliant guy, but as a security guard, he also happens to hold the record for the most patents in the company. Wow. 
And the one of the reasons for this is his unique brain. But one of the reasons is, as we discussed when I met him, 5% of his job is doing stuff. 95% of his job is being on standby, waiting in case something happens. And in that profound type of white space, nobody is judging the validity of his thinking time. Nobody is wondering, what are you working on? What are you working on? What are you working mm -hmm. on all day long? And so his mind can go a lot of really creative and interesting places. And the kicker of the story is that he was promoted twice into innovation, into the formal department that's yeah. in charge of coming up with this great stuff. And two times now, he has re-demoted himself back to security because when he got into innovation, they kept assigning him all this stuff that kept him from being creative because he's busy all day long. So, you know, as an example, you tell a story like that and you talk about it with your friends or colleagues and you say, you know, what is inside of me that could be unlocked if I did take that 10 minutes? And, and a lot of times it's just the addiction of touching the email that keeps uh -huh, us from it. Uh -huh. But a lot of times it's just a sense of missing permission that you get to still be labeled as a hard worker and a good worker and a team player, even if you take those minutes. And we just have to have a lot of group dialogue about that to norm it and make it more typical within our companies. Mm. I mean, the, what you're describing, it, uh, there's this, there's this viewpoint of Einstein that he was bad at math. I don't know if you're, you know, you, it's, mm. but that's, but that's apocryphal. When they say that Einstein failed math, he, he didn't, he was very good at math. He's an exceptional physics and math student. He made his professors mad. So he got a terrible assignment out of college. He got assigned to be a patent clerk. <laughs> Uh, and he was so smart, he was able to he was able to finish all of his patent clerk work within half a day. And he had exactly the stuff that you're talking about. He had this no expectations on him because he had finished his work. I mean, I think mm -hmm. he sort of dribbled it back out so that it didn't look like he was just sitting around bored. But he had all of this time. And uh, most of the stuff that we remember him for was ideated during that time. He, you know, mm. the idea of the uh, special relativity and his relationship of mass and energy, all of that occurred while he was bored as a patent clerk. So there is there is some uh, grand precedent for what you're talking about, aside from this uh, from the security guard. But I I also applaud this guy for knowing that he needed to be at his desk uh, un unfettered and just allowed to ideate in that way. It's it seems. Seems interesting that the company couldn't sort of create a space for him where he wasn't in charge of security, but also wasn't made to to come up with these things. Uh, but that's and but that's why they we think of when we hire people to do creative mm -hmm. and innovative work, we mm -hmm. give them long lists of things to do. That's how there is an additive relationship with work where we just put stuff in the container. And a lot of the work is taking stuff back out. We call it in in our work. We call it having a reductive mindset. Mm. Maybe this is a place we should go next is to be reductive. There's that word obviously means something else. But in the mathematical sense, we're talking about can you look at your work plate, your lists, your to do's, your inbox and say over and over and over, what can I let go of? What can I jettison? What can I shrink in scope? What can I do later? What can somebody else do? over and over and over with this lens. And when you can do that, that's when you begin to remove some of the weight. And for mm -hmm. most people, there are two primary areas where we want to focus, and that's emails and meetings. Yeah. Because if you had less of emails and meetings, 
you would have more time to be John, really. You'd also have more time to be, if you give me a really successful person, they take that open time for granted. Phil Knight of Nike had a chair in his living room that was just the daydreaming chair, and that's mm-hmm. the only thing he ever did in that chair. Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn is very famous for writing the word nothing on blocks of his calendar and scheduling that nothing time. So mm-hmm. it, if we want to join those people, we have to have the bandwidth that's open. And so the way that we can do that is by looking at emails and meetings and starting to chop them down. Maybe I can give you one, uh, perhaps it'd be fun to give you one tool for yeah. each one yeah. that would begin to reduce the weight. Um, for email, the most powerful tool is called the yellow list. And it is a way of moving things from email to other kinds of communication. And one of the problems is when, we, and I, when I say email, I should just say that I am always meaning any kind of typed communication. Okay. So whether it's uh, Slack, Slack text, chat, yeah, I yeah, am yeah, yeah, yeah. teams. It's, you know, I can't do that list every single time. So let's talk about email and say that, imagine you're about to send an email, you're gonna realize a couple things if you have space to think. First of all, you might question, is this time sensitive or not? Mm-hmm. If it is, it really shouldn't be an email because email is an asynchronous medium. It okay. should be a phone call or a text if it's really time sensitive. So now you have a non-time sensitive communication, you ask yourself, should it be an email? And for us in our company, we only use email when something has an email-related attribute. That means there's an attachment, a link, a CC, a forward, something that can only occur inside that digital realm. Oh, interesting. If it's, if it's not, we put it on something called a yellow list, which is just a document that I would keep in my computer for each person I work with frequently. You and I get to know each other. We start doing a bunch of projects. I make a document called Gib Yellow List. And then every time I think of, oh, yeah, I want to ask you about the thing about Einstein. Instead of sending you an email and starting a digital exchange, which can go on and on and on, I throw it on my yellow list. I throw the next thing on my yellow list. And then as it gets longer, eventually I ping you and I go, hey, bud, can I just quickly have a little yellow list debrief with you? Oh, wow. And all of those threads and exchanges and back and forth that would have turned into the emails that have babies and babies and babies never happens. And we only have the yellow list. We go through it easily, quickly, verbally. And if you start using this tool as a team, you'll be amazed at the amount of email that it can, it can curb because we're, and we're also not, you can't CC someone on a conversation. So bonus, you've got one extra layer of compartmentalization there. Yes. Some things need to be in writing. You'll have people kind of playfully debate what about legal? Yeah, it's, but it's a small percentage. Mm-hmm. of the kinds of communication that we have. So that's a big one for email. I'll give you one more for email, oh, just, which is working. Just oh, to, go ahead. Just Sorry. as a workaround there, you know, all you have to do is do a follow-up email to the phone conversation so you have it in writing. <laughs> I know I know, it adds to the thing, but if you want it in writing, you can always just copy and paste your yellow list and just say, hey, just to follow up, you know, this, this is what we talked about, and then you move on. And it doesn't have to be replied to, but it just that way it's in the ether if you need it for, for, for legal reasons. But anyway, the other, the other thing for the email. No, I, well, I think that you have to be cautious because that's sometimes that need to transcribe a yellow list conversation is valid. And when it is, <laughs> great. But sometimes it's just this weird, ancient reflex of, I got to send an email, I got to send an email. And that we have to be really careful about that one because that's, yes. it's not tactically relevant. It's just uh, a, uh, a, like a hiccup that we, right. 
we can't seem to get past. So well, I, I will give also you 50% to, on that one. It's also addiction to the old paradigm, right? Which is exactly what we're trying yeah. to break up. Right, um, right, right. So yeah, anyway, so keep going. Keep going. Another email so, thing. Another fun short one on email is start experimenting and playing with dropping all of your one word emails. What happens is we we have very little trust in teams because we can't be responsive. So mm-hmm. we fail to respond and people don't know if we saw stuff. They think we saw it, but they don't really believe it. So what's happened is these one word reassurances have sprouted up. Done. Got it. Yup. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. On it. And even thanks, which we can talk about in a minute, is a little more tricky. But if you made an assumption of trust across everyone that you work with, no one would need to send done, got it, yep, gotcha. They would just assume that until something breaks. And then when they didn't get it done, gotcha, yep, we would find out because something would break. Mm-hmm. And so that that assumption of trust is a really interesting thing to play with. Why am I telling you I got your email? I'm pretty sure I, I trust the functionality of Gmail. I think it's gonna get there. Mm-hmm. It, it's really more of a trust issue. So playing with the one word emails is a great way to reduce cumulative email. Um, creating a CC FYI folder where every single thing that is CC and FYI goes in automatically with a rule to one folder and you only check that folder once a day is another really simple and effective rule. But thanks, I said I would come back to because it's a little trickier. The problem with thanks in a digital medium is that it's almost always asynchronous. So what happens is I say, uh, hey, Donna, can you do this for me at nine o'clock? And then at 11.30, Donna goes, sure, here you go. And then I come back from lunch at 3.30 and I send thanks. Now, Donna is a busy lady. She's sitting at her desk. She doesn't remember what I'm thanking her for because it was three hours ago. Mm -hmm. So then she scrolls back and she goes, oh, yeah, right, the thing that I did with the thing. And then she goes, ah. And she has this little unexciting moment of getting the reason that. But those asynchronous thanks only add clogging to our inboxes. So what we love is for teams to get together once a week and say, I profoundly thank all of you rock stars for everything (laughs) that you do. Let's make that an assumption going forward and then just vanquish those one word thanks emails wherever you can. Externally to vendors and clients, you have to be a little more um, thoughtful, but internally it's, it's just a time suck most of the time. Sure. 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 I think, I think what you're talking about are, are, particularly for office work uh, are are these cultural linchpins that have um, that have traditionally been the markers of productivity however misplaced and you're talking about mm-hmm. really shifting that paradigm um, we don't have too much time left but but I do want to talk about how we begin to like what we shift that paradigm to when it comes to our relationship with our superiors and our coworkers and I know meetings is is also something that we want to tackle so uh, if you could, Give us some ways that you can turn that email. I mean, I I heard the I love the yellow list thing, but give us some ways that we can turn the 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 um, the meetings. I mean, into um, into the new paradigm that we've been talking about. Sure, I'll just give you the training wheels one because it'll take you a while to get to get started on it, and then we can come back next year and go for <laughs> go go further. <laughs> love it. So here's the here's the training wheels technique. It's called SBH. It is a method of using boredom to change your workflow. And here's what that means. When we're bored in a meeting, 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's correct. Work is boring sometimes. You got to mm-hmm. get over it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's an indication that we're actually in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. We're sitting in a meeting we shouldn't be in. Right. What happens is we mute the boredom with digital multitasking and yep. we make it go away so that we don't know that we're bored. Mm. So if you sit in all of your meetings going forward and you abstain from multitasking, you will notice sometimes that you are bored. The first filter is to find out if it's just part of the job or if you're bored because you shouldn't be there in the first place. Mm. And if you determine that, you say inside your head, very important that this is a private meditation, (laughs) you say SBH, 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 SBH. And as you hear yourself, shouldn't be here, shouldn't be here, shouldn't be here, Mm -hmm. you you just keep saying it in your head. And what's going to happen is you're going to start logging this awareness of how many times per day and per week you're sitting in an SBH meeting. And then maybe you're going to start talking to pals about whether your SBH meetings are also their SBH meetings. And eventually this building awareness will make you so uncomfortable that it will prompt you to begin figuring out how to learn to opt out, Hmm. which is scary and uncomfortable. And you might need a partner to rehearse, but we should be seeing way more people with the permission and tools to say, I don't see myself adding value to the business by sitting in this meeting right. and I'd like to politely decline. I, I mean, so I think, I think that's, that's really great. I think if you work in a very healthy culture, that is a, uh, that is a great way of looking at things, right? It's a great paradigm to begin to operate under, but I think a lot of people are so, and this is, I think maybe uh, dovetails back to your, uh, the, the, the four thieves you were talking about before. Um, you know, a lot of people, they want that time in front of their superiors or in front of a client just to have the FaceTime. And we value that FaceTime, maybe even when when the productivity isn't necessarily there, we do it for advancement and for drive, driven reasons, not for, not for, you know, accomplishment reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's not when you're bored. When mm. you're sitting next to Mr. Big kind of subtly showing off so that they can love you later. Mm-hmm. That That's not boring. That is a tactical choice and sometimes a very relevant one. It mm-hmm. is part of moving your career trajectory. But when you're on Zoom with 18 people and you're trying to like do work with your right hand that's just out of the view of the camera, <laughs> yep. that's an SBH meeting. Yeah. It, it's not the same thing. It, and you said that people have to work in a healthy culture to do it. If they start to opt out slowly and with proper preparation, they can figure out a way. We like to say that you should get a nobody, which is a buddy to help you say no. Mm -hmm. And with that person, try to figure out how could I say it? Do I say it in person or by email? Is there certain words I need to learn to say it in a respectful way? Mm -hmm. Like I, to say, I have several projects that feel like they'll be moving business forward more importantly than my sitting in X meeting on Thursday I would like to consider opting out. There are ways that you can say what's in it for them to the leader, even if they're an unevolved leader. But you, but you do have to take your time. It's not an easy thing to learn to do alone, but you can. Mm. Mm. I mean, I think again, like you said, it, 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 like we've been talking about all day, it is a it is a paradigm shift for a lot of people to sort of rethink because we again these are these are metrics that have traditionally been used to justify our existence at companies. This has been, these are metrics that have traditionally been used to just like, you know, this busyness, trying to unpack what's busyness that we do for show and for not, but that don't actually add to our productivity is uh, 
unpacking that is is the key to us finding more satisfaction in our work. And leaders need to unpack it too. I was doing a keynote at Spotify once and the sales team told me that they had a metric and it was calls per week. They had to do whatever it was, 20 calls per week. I don't Mm -hmm. remember. And they told me what they do is they get to 11 valuable calls and then they just book garbage for the other nine calls Mm -hmm. because they need to show 20 calls per week. So instead of prepping for the 11 and being really prepared, they're adding nine garbage calls into the workflow to check the box of 20. Mm -hmm. It's a ridiculous thing that leads to no value. If leaders are smart, they'll begin questioning these paradigms that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big if there, but I think as individuals, we we should be pushing for these things because what you're describing uh, is is borderline euphoric and utopian. This idea that we could we could have this kind of satisfaction uh, in jobs that maybe we were unsatisfied in currently or whatever it is. I, I it's very. It's and maybe motivated. maybe the reason I don't feel maybe the reason I don't feel Pollyanna about it is how many times I've seen it. We have the metrics right, right. to show. 18, 20, 22% reductions in all the stuff we're talking about. We have anecdotal stories that show. So when you see people doing this over and over for 10 years, you know that it's possible. And and that is, um, that's the fortification with which I can promise your listeners that this can be done in baby steps. Uh, and I, and, and I, and I want it. I think we all want it. And that is, um, and that is why you guys should go ahead and click the link in the show notes and buy a minute to think <laughs> um, and and, and begin you. to go on this journey. Juliet Funt, uh, I'm going to ask you two last questions. I ask it to everybody aside from buying this amazing book. Uh, and you've given us, again, a lot to think about today. Wh- how can people follow up with you? Yes, julietfunt.com is the website. They can go there and take a really fun assessment called the busyness test, which we suggest for everyone to figure out what exactly is the reason that you personally are uniquely so busy and what can you do about it? A link to the website is in the show notes. And one last question I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? giving yourself permission to experiment with everything we talked about. Just put the word permission on a giant post-it note across from your desk. You have permission to try these things. There you have it. Juliet Fun, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please, if you like the show, rate, comment, subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, they call it now, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot, guys. Uh, it really does. I try to read every... Uh, every review that you guys post this show. I appreciate it so much. If you guys would like to follow up with us, check out facebook.com slash John Tesh. We go live there all the time, respond to comments, interact with people. Of course, John is on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. Find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, at Gib Gerard and on facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. I don't know why it was so hard for me to say all those things, but I say them every day. Anyway, folks, uh, I try to respond to every DM, every mention of the show. Some of you, you know, I, I just really appreciate it. you guys reach out all the time because ultimately I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.